When I got out of Smith with this remarkable group of 2,000 women, when someone even suggested that a woman couldn't do anything, it was absurd to me. I had just spent four years with these women who could do anything. We recognize genius wherever it exists. And if you're known by the company you keep, we are proud to not only spotlight the women that are part of Rockefeller Capital Management's unique network, but also welcome our brilliant audience members. Hi, everyone. I'm Laura Esposito, head of Rockefeller's Enterprise Client Coverage Group, and welcome back to Genius Loves Company. Everyone has a story to tell, and we're excited to hear them from some of Rockefeller's top private advisors, investors, senior leaders, and women in the circles of our broader network about the life and career experiences that got them here and the insights and perspectives they gained. What a treat for us today that with us is Shelly Lazarus, Chairman Emeritus of and former CEO and Chairman of Ogilvy & Mather, the Global Advertising, Marketing and Public Relations Agency, and someone we're so proud to have as a member of the Board of Directors of Rockefeller Capital Management. Welcome, Shelley. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be here. This is such a treat for us. Let's just jump right in, Shelley. You've been widely recognized not only as one of the most powerful women in the advertising business, but as one of the most powerful leaders in business, period. You joined Ogilvy and Mather in 1971. You shot inexorably up through the ranks to become CEO in 1996. Now knowing you, not that I am at all surprised, and then chairman for more than a decade. So let's go back. I'm so fascinated by kind of various inflection points and formative periods for women like you, leaders in our network. If we go back to your childhood, how did you think about your career when you were growing up? Well, I never thought about having a career, but my father was a CPA and he was part of a firm and he would come home and talk about what he did during the day and his clients. And I was always really interested. And then when I was about 11, he bought me some stock. You know, because I would always watch him looking at the newspaper and seeing the stock price. And we had a conversation about what to buy. And I picked ITT. I even remember it to this day because it was international. And then I would track it every day. And then I would ask him questions about how the stock market worked. And so that was sort of like the first time I was interested in business. And then he would also talk about some women who were leaders in business. I, I remember to this day, he told me about Geraldine Stutz who is the CEO of Bendel's, you know, wow. the old yeah, department store. And, and so it was sort of always there with me. I would go to the office with him sometimes, mm. and he was an accountant, right? So I would work the adding machine. That's what they had in those days and add up the numbers for assets. And so it was always part of me, although I never, ever expected to have a career. <laughs> I never expected to what be did, in business. What, what did you think you would do? Uh, I thought I would get married and have children and be a good wife. And that was what I saw around me. Including your mother. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I grew up in the suburbs of New York, and that's what women did. I right. mean, they were wives and mothers, and everyone seemed very happy. Right. Uh, yeah, of course. And I just figured, okay, I'm going to go on and do the same thing. Right. And how and when did it shift for you? 
So it actually shifted when I fell in love and it was 1968. So I was in love with the man who's still my husband 53 years later and he was on his way to medical school. Mm. And so if we wanted to get married, one of us was going to have to get a job, which meant that was me. And in 1968, if you were a woman, it turns out that if you wanted to work in the commercial world, you were going to have to type. Now, right. you could pick where you typed. You know, you could type in a law firm. You could type in a bank. You could, you know, type in an Choose insurance the company. industry, but Choose you were going to be traditionally right. typing. Right. Yeah. And so I went to Smith. It was academically rigorous. It was a little disappointing, to say the least, to know that this is what I was going to have to do. And so there were these interviews where you'd think you were interviewing for a job in a bank as an executive, and then it would come out like at the you know 11th hour that it was actually going to be typing. And so in the middle of one of these interviews, mm-hmm. I must have looked so crestfallen because yet again, here we were, that the recruiter looked at me, it was a woman, and she said, I'll bet if you got an MBA, they couldn't make you type. And that was, first of all, hypothetical. Yeah, uh, right, it, right, right, It was right. a hypothesis, not for sure. Yeah. And the truth is, I didn't know what an MBA was. So, <laughs> so now, but I was going to find out, you know, whatever that was. And lo and behold, I discovered my husband, he was at Columbia Medical School, that Columbia had a business school. Not only that, but it started in the early summer, so you could go straight through like Ah. in 15 months. And I thought, okay, I could do this. I had never worked. It was five days after I graduated from college. I went to an all-women's college. I was going to say the juxtaposition of going to an all-women's college to then what? Being one of... One uh, of four in a class of 300. You know, so it was startling because I had never worked. I didn't really know what they were talking about. Right. Talk to me about that experience. Unpack that. Were you uncomfortable? Oh, I was never uncomfortable. I was just disoriented. (laughs) There was a a guy who... there, There were core classes that you had to take. So one was an organizational behavior. And there was this guy standing in front of the room, the professor who's drawing like boxes with things in it. And, you know, I had studied the origins of the French Revolution and government in the Soviet Union. I I didn't know what he was talking about. Why was he drawing those boxes? And, And but the thing is that along the way, I discovered marketing. You discovered marketing. And I really loved it. And I guess it was, I was fascinated by human behavior. Yes. You know, what, what you could do to sort of change Why human behavior. Why people make the decisions they make. And that's exactly. so, so much a part of advertising, which you ultimately went on to pursue. Uh, exactly. My intention was to go straight through. After three semesters, I really needed a break. And so I went, I was an intern at General Foods. I was the first woman who worked in a professional capacity in the Maxwell House division of General Foods. And just think of this company. It's all food. It sells all these products to women. To women. There there were no women. You know, and so here was the good thing. I loved what I did. I loved it every day. I couldn't wait to sort of get to the office again to to do it more. Immediately. Immediately. Taking the conceptual to the practical. And what was it about it? It was the challenge of sort of figuring out what stimulus you could create to achieve the response you wanted. It was the people who were really interesting. It was the sort of fact that there was no right answer. 
too, mm-hmm. is that it was very experimental. Yeah. You would try a bunch of things and some of them would work. And, right. and I really like that. Yeah. You know, it's just because it sort of called your creativity, you know, right. to the fore to say, well, what could we try? What could we do? But I, I'm just thinking back to the year and to the fact you're the first woman intern here, no other women executives. So you didn't necessarily have a role model, at least from I had a gender, no, spe- you know, from I, I, a gender I had, perspective. No, right. And, and so that, that how are you figuring it out? That is such an interesting thing because... I took everybody as my mentors and role models. You know, when young women today say, I want a mentor and all that. Well, if you're just, you know, think about it. Everyone you interact with who you respect is your mentor, really. Sure. But I would do things like I would kind of pretend that I knew what I was doing over the course of the day. But then at the end of the day, I would actually seek people out, you know, my bosses, my boss's boss, and say, do you have a minute? Could I just ask you? a few things that occurred to me over the course of the day. And by the time I was finished with that summer experience, I mean, I sort of knew how to be a product manager. So were you specifically asking for feedback of your work? Or oh, was no, it not what, at no. all. Oh, it was no. just about helping you learn yeah. the business. Yeah, and, no, exactly. You know, yeah. I would say, okay, in the meeting, you said this. I'm not sure why you said that. Yeah. You know, why yeah. did you want to go in that direction instead of this direction? And it was fascinating. because I it, wish we could bottle up this confidence yeah, and yeah. just spread it everywhere, well, Shelley. I didn't it, know any better. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of like, it was so spontaneous. It was like I was genuinely curious. Yeah, It wasn't right. that I was trying to build my career. It was just <laughs> that I didn't know why he did that. And, and him, why not ask, right? Yeah. I, I guess that that's what and was, it was... And it was always like at six o'clock, you yeah. know, sort of like it's the end of the day. I was just thinking about things. You know, the, the guys are kind of finishing up and doing stuff and you just sort of plop into their office and go, I'm just curious. And God, did I? It was an entire business school education. So then did you ultimately, you went back to business school. Uh, Oh, yeah, I did. I finished my, and then I went to Clairol. Okay. uh, And one of the reasons when I think about it in retrospect, it was the one place that had one other woman. You know, so it was just like, uh, you know, genius loves company. Did you seek it out because of that? No, 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 no. It was just happenstance. Just happened, yeah, yeah. Sydney Ward. Sydney Ward. I always thought that was her name. I thought she probably got in because they thought she was a man. And she was wonderful. I just thought the world of her. And so again, a company that sells all these products to women, to women. there were no women. You right. know, there was Sydney right. and then there was me. I joined and I love that too. Yeah. I mean, I just, I had a wonderful experience at Clairol and introduced a bunch of new products and just learned so much from, from everyone. Then I got this call one day. I'd been there for two years, loved it, was happy. When I was at General Foods, Ogilvy was the agency. Okay. And I thought they were amazing. Again, in retrospect, I think it's because instead of just telling you an idea, they would put it on a big foam board. And it was like, <laughs> oh my God, what an amazing idea. Ogilvy was looking for somebody who knew something about hair to work on a Unilever shampoo product. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not leaving Clairol because I love it, but I haven't seen my friends from Ogilvy, you know, like in two years. So I'll just pop over there and catch up with them again. And uh, I went to Ogilvy never expecting to spend more than two years. 
Mm-hmm. I was going. I did two years on the client side, then I do two years on the agency side. And then what did you think post the, the I didn't agency know. experience? I, I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know, okay. but but something else. And I never left. And right. that's the right. whole story. Right. Uh, <laughs> and here we are. Today. Here we are. Right. So at any stage, whether during the internship, during your CBS experience at Clairol, once you got to Ogilvy, did you sit down and kind of very deliberately say, okay? Here's where I want to be and kind of think through a linear path in a career. Never. It, never. Never. And so, so, when, so when people come to me and they have their career path right. all you know, laid, laid out, out perfectly. Just, I just think, well, you can do that, but that's not the way it's going to happen. the best laid plans. It's <laughs> not going to happen that way. Someone once said to me early on, uh, it was a woman, she said, it's like skiing, just keep your knees bent and be ready for anything. <laughs> and it was sort of like that. I never aspired to be a CEO or to be anything more than just the person who got great work for her client. I mean, right, that's what I did. Right. And the way I think about it is every once in a while, someone would come into my office and sprinkle another title on me. And I would be respectful and grateful. And I'd say, now, can I get back to my real work? And then one day it was to be CEO. So it was just, uh, <laughs> it was, which was a little startling, but, you know. But uh, I, so I struggle because sometimes as I'm mentoring younger women, last 25 years of my career, I've kind of embraced the mentality of, it's a meritocracy, and if I put my head down and I do right by my clients, then I'll be recognized, then I will advance. But that's not always the case, right? So what advice would you give to women today when thinking about how to sustain a career and continue to develop? The thing that's unknown is the opportunity that presents itself. And so the big leaps you make in your career tend to come in from this sideways, you know, and someone yeah. comes to you and says, we have this problem or opportunity over here. Mm-hmm. We were thinking you'd be a great person to do it. My own experience is that women tend to sit back and go, hmm, do I have the necessary experience? Do I have, have I developed the skills yet? My advice is just say yes. Just say yes. Just say yes. So just remain open. Just say yes. And the harder it is, the bigger the opportunity is career-wise. Right. You know, it tends to be that they don't come and ask you to do things that are easy. Yeah. You know, it's just sort of, it's like the, the person before is failing. You know, we don't know what we're doing in this, you know, in this area, but we think you might be able to lead us out of yeah. the morass. Did you ever approach it with trepidation or were you scared? Sure, I was scared. I mean, it, like, impo- you hear a lot about imposter syndrome. I was scared Did all you the time. from that? I, I realize now I was scared 75% of the time during my <laughs> career. No kidding. But you got to jump. Right. I still... Um, I guess it's what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? I tell this great story. I think it's really important. It's just, it sort of acted as a principle for me through my whole career. I was at Ogilvy working on the Unilever shampoo and the media plan, we had a a meeting at one o'clock to present the media plan for the next year. At 12.45, the media planner comes into my boss's office and is literally running in circles because the computer was down. Okay. And in those years when the computer was down, it was not just like a simple fix. The computer was down for hours, <laughs> right? right? Just, and she's running around in circles and going, oh my God, oh my God, we're supposed to be there at one o'clock and just, and my boss, you know, he sort of saw the trajectory of her run. <laughs> he kind of intercepted her 
and he put his hands on her shoulders and said, what do you think they're going to do to you? Take away your children? (laughs) And it was just like this was a moment of revelation. It's what's the worst thing that can happen? happen? You know, you get fired. Actually, they're not. No one's going to fire you. When when you're really a a prized employee who they're giving a new opportunity, no one's going to fire you. Right, Uh, right. And it's just so just take a chance. But that doesn't mean you're not scared. No, 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 no. But you have to accept it as evidence that you're growing. Yeah. That is Maybe ev- don't literally run in circles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but you almost there's a comfort in knowing, okay, I'm going to do this. It's going to be really scary. Yeah. And I'm going to feel scared, but that's a good thing. Did you have a network of colleagues sure. or friends that you could talk to sure. about these things? And did you? No, I did. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I, talk, I would talk to people all the time. Right. And it was just like, I cannot walk down the hall of the Savoy Hotel in London without feeling how I felt on my first foray, I had just been made chief operating officer of the global company. Okay. And now I was going to meet all the client CEOs in London of the big clients in London. Yeah. And These massive you know, companies. Oh, okay. My God. <laughs> my God. You know, they're just uh, Yes, the biggest they're, global they're sort of, exactly. titans of industry. There are these tight you know, amazing men who, you know, have been in these positions. I was terrified. I was so scared. And I just did it. I did one after one. And it turns out they're really nice. And they wanted me they to succeed. They wanted you to be successful. They wanted me to be successful. Yeah. And they... Did you ever encounter, I'm sure you did, people that you didn't feel like wanted you to be successful? And then how did you handle that? I wouldn't say didn't want me to be successful, but there were some who I think almost by their nature didn't encourage yes. the people around them. It's sort of like, a, yes. a, in my view, a terrible management yeah, style. Right, right. But it's like An almost by making you, style. Yeah, they, they make you feel inadequate. Inadequate. And somehow they'll help you get to where you need to go. But it's for for their, you know, service to you. <laughs> yes. Right. That's never attractive. Never my favorite people. No. My favorite clients. No. Just, uh, <laughs> but there are there's so few and far between. You know, they're memorable once you find one, <laughs> but so few. I mean, the, the truth is that most people really want you to succeed. And the other thing I discovered is once a man has daughters, right? it's it, like you become like, you know, in, in the shifts. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah no, just, that's a great, that's a great point. Great point. Maybe more, more allies when they kind of see it through a different lens exactly, of wanting exactly. their own daughters. And it doesn't successful. matter these days, but in the no. earlier days, yeah. in the earlier days, it did, it, it did. did matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. If when you look back on such a, an extraordinary career, I guess two questions. One, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. Is there any advice that you would give to your younger self? And then as you grew more senior and in a CEO role, what were the qualities and attributes that you think made you ready for the role and successful in the role? When I look back at my own career, it was, you know, sort of, I loved, I've said this a few times, I loved what I was doing. And when you love what you're doing, you're passionate about it. And I think that made a huge difference in what I could do with the people within the agency and with clients, because when you go to a creative person's office and they show you some work and you go, oh my God, it's fantastic. We have to go show it to the client this afternoon with that degree of enthusiasm. And you can't fake it. 
that's more intuition. Do you feel yeah. like you could kind of trust your instincts? Well, Did you... it's, it's intuition at the start. Yeah, okay, uh, okay. But then with enough experience, you go, that is a great idea. That is a, I always used to ask, is that a 10-year idea? Oh, is that interesting. a platform yeah. that this company, this brand can build on for the next 10 years? And frankly, if you couldn't say yes, I wasn't that interested. But I think that passion, and then, you know, clients would tell me after the fact now, now that I'm, you know, not doing it day to day, is that they would look in my eyes and they, I would make them brave yeah, because wow. they would go, this is crazy stuff. You know, they would think, and then they look at my eyes and go, oh, I bet it's all right. I think it's all right. Just, uh, and so <laughs> then, this. so then they would get enthused and engaged, but you have to, you have to hit people's emotions. It's not yeah. just intellectual, you know, you have to make people feel what you're feeling. And so I think that was, you know, a big part of it. It's right. just, and you have to, you have to create an environment where people can do their best work. And very often it's, you've got to make it homey and warm and sort of you can talk about stuff. And I always had living room furniture in my office. I never did the contract furniture stuff. You're kidding. First, no, first of all, I discovered it's half the price. That the stuff for your living room is half the price of what they charge companies. <laughs> so I would just go to, you know, a, a, a place and get couches and coffee tables. And, and I would invite people to come to my office, like, you know, at the end of the day or something and just put their legs up on the table and just, you know, talk and just say, you know, what's happening, what's on your mind. And if you do that enough, you don't have to have formal meetings. Right. You know, people just go, they just come in and they just kind of vent or they, you know, talk about the great things that happened over the course of the day or they're just back from a trip and they yeah. want to talk about what's actually happening in the Singapore office. And I imagine you had to establish so much trust because you're asking people that are working for you, you know, ultimately when you got to be CEO to kind of be really authentic and to be, you know, to be transparent with you. Right, to, to be comfortable. To, yeah. be, to be comfortable. Did you have executives that you'd worked with and for that that provided that environment for you? Yeah, for, like, I think it's pretty sure. novel, even no, still for, today. For sure, I, you know, and... Um, uh, I still have friends, but the the people I work with years ago, they're still my good friends. Yeah. I mean, you know, we yeah. still we talk and and the other great thing about my career was I grew up with my clients. You know, so when I was a product manager, oh, when so I was true. an account executive, they were a product manager. And now lo and behold, I actually said to one CEO of a Fortune 50 company one day, who I we had worked together for years. I said, "Do you believe it that I we're do. both that we're both <laughs> CEOs now?" Here. And he just laughed and said, "Actually, no." Right. <laughs> <laughs> that also keeping up relationships. They may not be in your life day to day. Someone who you really respected or or had a journey with or right. a great adventure, or, you know. And you just. I, it's just my nature. I just sort of keep up with people because yeah. I like them. Right. And you're naturally curious and you're exactly. interested and emotionally invested. No, it, exactly. And Has then, that been a big secret to your success? As I go back, you know, it was this inherent love of what I did. Yep. So I wasn't afraid to show people how much I cared or, yeah. you know, or to be passionate about something. I was very focused you know, I, I knew that my real job at the end of the day was to get clients the work that moved their business ahead. And I always felt accountable. I wanted to know what the sales were 
every month. And, you know, we won the IBM account. That was a, you know, a big win for Ogilvy. And we mm. took on the whole thing everywhere in the, you know, in the world overnight. And the first thing I did was call the head of sales at IBM. And I said, can I have lunch with you once a quarter? Because I want to know whether the work that we're doing is actually moving the needle. Right. And, and if it's not, we have a problem. I, I, you know, I care what the marketing people think and all sure. that. But at the end of the that's day. That's extraordinary because I feel like that's a big piece that kind of gets missed in the development of a lot of women. The whole concept of the financial acumen. Was that just natural to you to be curious? No, but Laura, here's, you know, people say, do you have to have an MBA to be successful in advertising? The answer is no. But does it give you that? Does it give you that business perspective so, okay, and okay. the business context? And and it was so important for me. I could step back and myself assess what was the role of the advertising? What was the role of the, you know, of the direct marketing campaign? And how does that actually influence the business? And all of a sudden you're at the table. Right, right, right. All of a sudden you're sort of sitting with the CEO to say, okay, if I think if we could get lapsed users back and get them to spend at three quarters of the rate that they used to be spending at, then we make the revenue number for the year. So for women, and this very much applies to me as well, I didn't go back for an MBA. I was on a track and could I felt like I me. didn't need it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, talk about imposter syndrome. What would you recommend if for women that don't go and get the education of the kind of financial strategic side. Well, well, you can get it on the job. I mean, yeah. if you if you're deliberate about it, right. you know, and, and it goes back the to the, you know, figure. But you have to be curious about it and yeah. deliberate and say, OK, if we do this, what is the impact, you know, on the uh, on the business? What's the impact on revenue? What do we do? You know, what happens to it to the expenses? I think always having that sort of as context for whatever right. it is. Always having that as the framework. The framework, exactly. Yeah, exactly. okay, okay. And, and, but, I, but I think the more profound attribute actually is just feeling accountable. Mm. You, you got to know where you make a difference, why you make a difference, why the company will be less good if you're not there. Right. And you have to think about that. It's not egotistical, actually. No, right. But it's just sort of understanding what your value is, because that also gives you courage. Yeah. It gives that you confidence. Help you prioritize, too? For sure. For yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. if it wasn't going to increase revenue, why, why, why are, are we, we spending doing time it? on this? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I actually have this little, I offer it to other people, is, you know, you'd write these 50-page strategic plans yeah. every year and all that, and, you know, that was great, and you'd present it to your people. And I would always after that, though, take a little piece of paper mm -hmm. and in pencil, actually, write the five simple things that I wanted to accomplish that year. And I kept it on my desk. Mm. And it's really helpful to sort through how you spend your time. Right. Because for many years, I had fixed the London office. That was that was a perennial straight above. Finally, finally, it's fixed. But someone would ask me to do something or have a meeting about something, and I would glance down at my list of five and think, Ooh. that doesn't help me at all with any one of those five. So it's just your own kind of way of thinking about how you Checks use your time. Checks and balance. Yeah. On, right. Oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. think I might try to adopt that. I used to put just the sale, a sales, when I was 100% a, a producer, I'd put the sales target on a post. Well, that's good on. too. Yeah. 
So I want to shift gears a little bit because you're very much a, a full entire person and you had a personal life and children. So how did you manage that? And I'd go back to when you were asked to become CEO, how did you think about managing it all? So one of the things, this is what happens when you get old and you can look back and all that, is one of the things I now know is you can fit into your life everything you love. It's what's hard to fit in is all the things that don't have meaning or are trivial or, you know, it's like, you know, keeping your house clean or something that doesn't have a lot of standing with me, uh, (laughs) as as would be obvious. So that I love my job. When I wanted to have a child, it never occurred to me not to go back to my job because I love my child, but I also love my job. And I just figured I'll figure it out. So again, it was not a conscious kind of thing. Um, but the the CEO question is interesting because the head of the holding company called me to ask me to be CEO of Ogilvy right. when I was at field day at my son's school. <laughs> There's nothing as boring as field day. I mean, any mothers who've done that, it's just, it is just a killer. Uh, you know, watching kids run relay races. And so I'm in Riverside Park. Did you know that this call no, was no, coming? No, no, not at no, not at all. Okay. And so, so and cell phones weren't so good in those days. Right, right, right. right. Okay. So I did have a cell. So the it, I'm standing in Riverside Park watching the relay races, and the the phone rings, and it's Martin Sorrell, who is the the head of WPP. And I thought he was asking me to be the CEO of Ogilvy, but he was going in and out and the kids were screaming. And I thought, okay, this is a metaphor for, for everything. Uh, and so I said, Martin, actually, I'm, I'm someplace I can't really hear you very clearly. Could I just call you back? Like in an hour, I'll be back in the office. And, and do you think uh, Martin is sitting there thinking, I, I'm asking this woman to be seen? Probably, probably. probably. Although and I'm she's sure. to call me back. I, I'm no, sure. Yeah. It probably never yeah. crossed his mind that I was at field day. I mean, true, that was it. So, but it was sort of like, but that again is, yeah, I could fit it all in. And one of the things that I discovered, because now my kids are grown, you could ask them, right? Just, is that as long as they know that they are the most important things in your life, everything else works too. And again, you can't fake that either. You don't have to. Almost everyone I know, every mother, their children are the most important thing in, in their lives. And so you just have to express it to the kids in a way that, that they can that feel they constantly, it. Yeah. They just regularly feel it, but, yeah. right. When you reflect on your career, had you not landed that first internship or gone down the advertising track, could you see yourself having done anything else in well, a different industry? Or I could have done anything. I'm so curious about so many things. You know, I think I could have been an investment banker. I didn't know what that was, you right, know, until right. a while ago. But <laughs> I, I could have gotten into real estate. I love the idea of real estate. I love real estate, because too. It's so creative. I oh, mean, you know, know, you just sort of look at it, em- empty space or, or built space and reimagine the whole thing, that would have been something else that I could have done. But right. it's, uh, yeah, I could have I could have done lots of things. But the great thing for me about advertising was that I got to do all these things. But I have a really low boredom threshold. And so I know that. Uh, <laughs> and so the fact that I stayed at one company for over 40 years, it's just preposterous. Right. But then when you think about it, 
every time I added a new client, it was like going into another industry, a whole other group of people, a whole other set of challenges yeah. and requirements and pressures. Buyers, and behavior, and channels and segments. It, it, exactly, right. exactly. So and, you, you could never be bored. And one of the great things about Ogilvy is that, you know, it had such a wide range of clients that it used to be the pattern that a person who is an account person at Ogilvy would have like one account and okay. work on it full time. I never did that. I always had two or three. Because huh. again, because I like to be able to kind of compare and contrast. But how did you make that contrast. happen? I just said, I, I volunteered. You, you know, I go, I'll do that. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just, and they say, can you do that and that? Yeah, I can. <laughs> sure. Uh, I don't I'll know how. It out. I'll figure, I will it, figure out. it out. That, I mean, but that is the watchword to do. To have the confidence to say, I'll figure it out because I want to do it. Right. Do you think part of that confidence, as you think back, and I think about Smith and the notable alumni that's come out of Smith, and obviously you're very much top of the list there. Did that have something to do with it? All women's college, learning to critically think? Absolutely. And starting at the very top, when I got out of Smith with this remarkable group of 2,000 women. Of all women. When someone even suggested that a woman couldn't do anything, it was absurd to me. That much, yeah. I, I had just spent four years <laughs> with these women who could do anything. You know? right. So it actually had a very deep effect on me in that way at a time when there weren't a lot of people who necessarily believed that women could do anything. Could do anything. It really was a miraculous thing for me. And, and I had only gone to co-ed schools all right, the way right. until I got to this place with just women. Yeah. How did you choose that? I don't know. It just sort of appealed just, to me. Back in those days, no one believes this either or remembers is women really couldn't go to the Ivy League. If you wanted academic excellence, you went to the Seven Sisters. Yeah. You know, the, okay. all, the all women's colleges. Right, right. So it was sort of not even a that much of a choice because if you wanted something that was excellent academically, chances are you were going to be going to an all-women's school. Believe me, there were lots of men around. So <laughs> there, were, there was no shortage of men uh, around sure. on the campus. Right? <laughs> Shelly, you've blazed such a trail and what I, having the opportunity to know you more through your board service with Rockefeller Capital Management, I so admire and it strikes me that you've always been this way, how genuine and authentic you are. So thank you for being a, a <laughs> well, role model you, right? for, for women and for men alike, for sure. This has been such an extraordinary experience for me. I have so many more questions I'd love to ask of you at some stage. Maybe we'll do part two. But um, as we come to a close, kind of just a, a little levity, you were working hard. You had a family with three children you were raising. So we'd love to know the answer. What's your happy place? Oh, God, what, it's a, what a great question. Well, first of all, it's being outside. And so we have a place in the Berkshires oh. and there's nobody there. So to me, to just be able to sit outside and to read fiction, you try to fit in everything in your life that you love. What I couldn't fit in was was books reading fiction. Were, books, right. books were <laughs> a, a bridge books. too far. I was just like I couldn't I couldn't do that. So ma it. Maybe once in a while on a flight to Asia, but not that often. So just to be outside in the country uh, and read. 
just totally focused, right? And exactly. just very deliberate and not distracted. And I know. Just, yeah, Which exactly. you probably, thinking back, I'm sure 10, 20 years ago, you just, you wouldn't have had that opportunity. No, no. And you wouldn't have probably would have been in some conference room. But it is interesting that the things that you just sort of take for granted, like being outside, you might have to sacrifice them for a while. But then it's so delicious to come back to it yeah. and to be able to just You can have there. it all, but just not at the same, same time. Same time, no. exactly, exactly. <laughs> Well, Shelly, thank you so much. This is such a fascinating discussion with you, and we are so appreciative of you spending time with us. Well, great. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for listening to Genius Loves Company. To learn more about Rockefeller Capital Management, visit rockco.com or keep up with us on LinkedIn or Instagram. This material was prepared by Rockefeller Capital Management. The views expressed of the hosts and guests in this episode are as of a particular point in time and are subject to change without notice. The views expressed by the speakers are solely their own and may differ from or conflict with those of other divisions in Rockefeller Capital Management. This information was provided for illustrative and educational purposes only. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation, investment advice, an offer of Rockefeller investment advisory or brokerage services, or a projection or illustration of the performance of any particular investment or strategy offered by Rockefeller. Forward-looking statements, including those presented herein, are inherently uncertain, as future events may differ materially from those reflected, and past performance is not a guarantee of future performance.